All right, we're looking at Psalm 84, verses 1 through 12. Let's give our attention to God's word. To the choir master, according to the Getith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The Bible says that all men are like grass, and that all mankind's glory is like the flower of the field. And the grass withers and flowers fade away, but God's word stands forever. So let me pray for us before we look at it more tonight. Heavenly Father, you are a God who speaks. You are kind enough and gracious enough that you reveal yourself to us. That you give us your word here in the, in the Bible. And so, Father, we pray that, that as its author, that you would be its teacher. And that you would be its applier to our hearts. Now, Father, we need you to be at work by your Holy Spirit. But you love to do that. So would you be here with us tonight, and would you open us up so that we might hear what you would have us to hear, and believe what you would have us to believe. Uh, Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm guessing at some point in your life that you've felt homesick before. Uh, I remember the two times that I felt it the most. Uh, The first was in sixth grade. Um, The very beginning of sixth grade... Uh, so in my school, uh, sixth grade was at a new campus all the way across town. So you're at a different campus. Um, you're all of a sudden the youngest, right? You were, we were the oldest, the fifth grade. Now you're the youngest. Um, everything's different. New buildings, new teachers. Uh, this is the first time that you're changing classes every period. You've got a locker, right? You don't have a homeroom. And for whatever reason, I was sick the first two days of sixth grade, So my first day of sixth grade was everybody else's third day. And so when I show up, everybody else is just kind of already used to it and figured it out. And so everything to me, I felt very alone and, you know, sort of alienated because it was all still very new to me. And I can remember just being very overwhelmed by it and, and just desperately wanting to be back home. Uh, The other time was going back to Ole Miss uh, for the second semester of my freshman year after Christmas break. Uh, We had to go back a week early for fraternity stuff, uh, i.e. 
hazing uh, to catch a really hard time. Um, so I was leaving, you know, the wonderful comfort of home and going back a week early to this awful and empty dorm. It was cold. It was just, it was miserable. And that night, especially that first night, I can just remember just that feeling of just wanting to be back home, right? Wanting to be, I'm sure you felt that way before too, uh, you know, sometime in your life. That feeling of just wanting to be where you fit, right? Just wanting to be where, where everything, in, in a sense, at least as best as it can be, is, is okay. Where you feel the most yourself. Um, that feeling of being at home. And this semester, you know, we're studying through the Psalms. And our theme every week is uh, dealing with feeling. Um, the Psalms are songs. And, uh, you know, as, as we all know, songs deal, they traffic in emotion, right? They, um, they help us to understand our emotion. They help us to express our emotions. They can even help shape our emotions. And the Psalms uh, do exactly that, right? They, in a sense, they help us feel our way through life. And this Psalm, I think, really is all about feeling at home, that feeling of being at home. Um, the psalmist tells or sings about, about that feeling of being where you fit. Right? Uh, we see the psalmist, uh, he tells us about three blessings. Verses 4, 5, and 12. And that's going to basically serve as our outline tonight. Uh, so we're going to see three things. Um, first, and I kind of struggle with these titles. The titles of these points are kind of bad, but hey. Um, the first thing I want you to see that the psalmist shows us is uh, being happy at home. Really what it feels like. What, what he's looking for. That's verses 1 through 4. Secondly, uh, we're going to see a little bit about being happy away from home. Verses 5 through 7. <coughs> and then thirdly, we're going to see um, a little bit about being happy Trusting in God, verses 8 through 12. So first, let's look at being happy at home, verses 1 through 4. All right, so we're not sure of the context of this psalm. Some of them we, uh, we know what, who the author exactly was and why they were writing, what was going on. But this one we're not sure. There are a lot of theories. Uh, was it written by the sons of Korah, who seemed to be the uh, temple musicians? Was it written for the sons of Korah, uh, possibly by David? Uh, and was it written, if it was written by David, when, was it when he was on the run from Absalom or uh, from Saul or something like that? Or is it just from, uh, is it just sort of about generally about Israelites making their way back to Jerusalem, to Zion, to worship? Uh, we're not sure. But I don't think it matters a whole lot. Um, because what we see in, the, uh, in this psalm is that the psalmist, especially in this first uh, section here, you see that he is not in the courts of the Lord. He's not um, at worship, but he, he wants to be. It's what he's longing for. Um, in fact, it's, it's what he wants more than anything else. He wants to be uh, in God's presence, you know, at the temple, in worship. Um, and you see the blessing there in verse 4, right? Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Uh, and if, you, you know, if you've ever studied uh, the Sermon on the Mount, right, uh, it starts out with Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are blessed, right? 
And so uh, it, whether you have or haven't, that word, right, we could translate it happy. Very legitimate translation. It, it, it means happy, but it's this very deep and rich sense of happiness. So when the, when the scripture talks about uh, blessed or blessed, right, it's this, it's this sort of holistic, deep sense of satisfaction, um, of, of a rich wholeness to life, um, being satisfied in every way. And look how he describes it in verse 2, right? So he's talking about being at worship in the courts of the Lord. In verse 2, he says, my heart and flesh sing for joy, right? It seems like he loves being there so much. He finds his place there so much that it seems like his body just resonates with it. Uh, Verse 3, he uses the picture of of finding a home there, right? That that sense of, like we're saying, being at home. uh, Granted, he's using the picture of of the birds finding a home there. Um, But being in the temple, worshiping God, is where he finds his true happiness. Uh, It's where he he says he feels the most alive. It's where he really finds himself, his true self. Uh, I don't know if this is still a thing. Do people still talk about, like, finding themselves? When I was in college, that was, like, a real thing. And people talked about it a lot, like, uh, and it was usually to go out to, like, Colorado or Montana or something like that for a, you know, summer or a season or whatever. And just like, oh, man, I just really need to go find myself. Right? I, do people still do that, sort of? Um, and if, if you know, yes, I spent three summers in Montana. You can come up with your own conclusions on that. But, um, right, what people meant by that is they wanted to find out, they were missing this sense of who they, they were. They wanted to find their place in the world, find, find their true self, right? Like, who am I really? How and where would I thrive? They wanted to find themselves. And, and the psalmist here says that he finds himself in worship, in the courts of the Lord, at God's house. That's where he's truly at home. All right, so what do we do with that? Um, because there's no temple Today, right? At least not like in the psalmist day. So what does it mean for us? Well, in the New Testament, we see two things referred to as the temple, right? Uh, You see that Jesus himself identifies uh, as the temple, John 2.21. And the New Testament talks about the people of God, or we would say the church as the temple. So for us, to put it in New Testament uh, today terms... We could say that the psalmist is talking about finding himself, that he finds his true sense of home and where he fits at worship in the church, worshiping God with his people. Um, that that's where he says, that's where I thrive. And he, he's showing us that's where we find it. And we actually won't find it anywhere else. So look, some application. Look, if you're not a believer, um, we're, we're really glad you're here at RUF, right? This, this, we're here for you. And if you're not a believer, I, I'm going to guess you're looking for the same thing everybody else is, right? right? You, you want to find that place. You want to find that true sense of home and where you fit and where, yeah, where you're the most alive. And I just want to... I want to extend this. I want you to see this as an invitation to you. 
Like, could it, could it just possibly be that that place is actually at church? Worshiping God, being with God and with his people. Um, because maybe you've realized you can't find it anywhere else. So I, just, I would just invite you to consider it. That might sound crazy, but I hope you'd at least consider it. Could it possibly be that you actually find what you're, who you're meant to be in the context of church? And look, if you are a believer, then I think this can help us remember, uh, remember what's true in a couple of ways. One, it helps us to remember where we actually find our true home, where we find ourselves. Because it can be really tempting to find it somewhere else, right? It can be really tempting to find that real sense of, of identity and rest and where we thrive in our work or our school or in your fraternity or sorority or in any number of places. And all of those things are great and they have their place, but they can't provide that ultimate sense of being at home. Not like the Bible says, not like being with God and his people. All right, but you also might be thinking something very different about this point, especially if you're a a Christian. You might be thinking that there's a big problem with this whole idea of that we should find our deepest sense of feeling at home with uh, in the church, right? You might think, you might be thinking, well, there's actually a ton of problem with church. And in a sense, of course, you're, you're very right, right? You might think that you can't stand the music, right? Like, I don't really feel at home there because I can't stand the music, or you don't like the preaching, or you don't like the order of worship, or, you know, whatever it might be. Or you don't like the people there. The people are awkward. The people are hypocritical. The people don't reach out to me, right? Any number of things. Um, you don't have much in common with them, whatever. And I want you to see that this psalm is a great reminder of the truth. Um, that it really is only in worshiping God and being with his people that you're going to find your true home. And if you don't find yourself in that position, which I'll admit is really easy to do, then I think this should spark us to some really deep reflection about ourselves, actually. Because look, hear me say, there can be real pain inflicted by people, by the church, right? This is not to deny that. But generally speaking, if you find yourself thinking that that the problem with church, it's them, it's that, right? It's, It's that thing or whatever. It's something over there then I want you to see, maybe you need to remember and see again what this psalmist sees. Because we're going to get into this in our third point, but we get a glimpse here. I want you to see he gives us a little glimpse of why he feels so at home, uh, like we would say at church or worshiping God. Do you notice it's in verse 3. Why does he feel so at home? It's because he feels welcome. Right? What does he say? He says, even the sparrows, the... um, the sparrow finds a home at your altar, right? Throughout scripture, the sparrow is um, used to sort of depict the lowliest of all creatures, right? The, the most worthless, insignificant thing that we can think of, right? Just even a sparrow. And the psalmist recognizes that God invites and welcomes the, in a sense, the most worthless, the most insignificant thing, even, even that finds a home there. The psalmist knows that he feels welcome. And right, and it's at the altar, right? 
calling to mind that God is a God of grace, that He accepts sacrifice. And so we have to remember that God only, he only accepts the lowly, the insignificant in a sense. And if he accepts us, if he welcomes us, which he does, then that means there are going to be a lot of other people like us. There are going to be a lot of other people that have a lot of problems. And yet God welcomes us. And so what it means is that we're going to have... Right, it's a, it's a reminder, it's a call to be reminded that we're actually going to have to be welcoming to other people. Because God has welcomed us. Helps us to remember. Alright, the second thing I want us to see, that we see from this psalm, um, is a little bit about being happy away from home. Away from worship, so to speak, in verses 5 through 7. So he, the psalmist has told us what he's longing for. I want more than anything to be at worship. That's where I find myself. Um, but now we get a picture of uh, the psalmist or the uh, believers, people heading towards Zion to worship. So they're not there. They want to be there, but they're not. But they're heading there. But still not there yet. And that's where we see this other blessing that's pronounced. Verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. And what he's showing us is that there's... That there, can, that there is blessing, that there is happiness for God's people even when you aren't at worship. When you aren't with him and his people in that particular way. And the happiness comes from the truth that God gives his people strength. Right? He gives strength that transforms the journey. And he assures us of the arrival. Um. So that there's blessing being away from home uh, because, yeah, like I just said, it transforms the journey. Um, verse 6, look at verse 6. It talks about going through the valley of Bacah. Uh, it's literally the valley of weeping. And now, again, we don't know exactly what that means. There's all kinds of different theories that not even worth getting into. But that, that what's clear is that this is a place that these people are heading towards Zion that they have to go through that's not pleasant. Uh, it seems to be a very dry, tough, unpleasant place. Um, and yet, the psalmist says that even for those traveling through it, as unpleasant as it is, that because of their destination, because of the fact that they know where they're going, it actually transforms the experience of going through the bad place. And it says that it's actually... Uh, that they make it like a place where springs are bubbling up everywhere. This just dry desert sort of place. It's like there's just water everywhere. And it's because of where they're heading. Right? By God's strength. Right? If you notice it says they make it a place. So it still is a miserable place. But because of their destination. Because they know where they're heading. And what this journey means. It, it impacts the experience of going through the awful place. Um, it's a place where they can actually find some joy. All right, here's my illustration. I think it's actually a decent one. It's kind of, kind of corny, but I think it works. So when our family goes to the beach, we've been the last, I don't know, three, four years in a row. Uh, it's like a 12, 13-hour drive, which is 
That's a pretty brutal trip, at least I consider it that. Um, And so we try to make as few stops as possible. And so we stop every year at these same, you know, gas stations uh, because we're heading to the beach. And these places are in the middle of nowhere. So much nowhere that, like, when I bought gas, my bank immediately sent me a text. and like, we think someone stole your card. No kidding. Like, no, it's okay. I know I'm in somewhere I can't even pronounce Alabama. And these places are awful. Like, you go in the bathroom, and they are wretched. Like, you've been to these places. Places, the bathroom is so gross that you don't wash your hands because you know the process would make your hands dirtier, right? It's just gross. But, there's a sense in which you, again, this might be kind of weird, but when you pull up to these places, as gross as they are, there's also a sense of, Almost fondness or at least some sense of joy because you're only there because you're going to the beach. It's miserable. I hate this bathroom. I don't want to touch everything. My kids are touching everything. We're all going to die. I do not want to be here, but it does mean we're going to the beach. Right? You get the idea. It changes the experience a little bit. I'm not going to flush it out too much. It's, we have a number of people here that fit this bill. It's kind of like engagement in marriage. Engagement in and of itself is awful. It is. Because you're just dating. Like nothing is different. Except you've made this weird commitment to be committed. And now you really want to be together, but you can't be. It's awful. But it's awesome because it means great things, Right? Because of where you're going, the destination. You get the idea. So look, if you're a believer, especially if you're a believer, there are no doubt lots of times when you feel very much not at home in this world. Right? When you go through the valley of weeping. Um, so yes, maybe you, wanna, you do find yourself and you, you really enjoy being in worship. Right? Uh, being with your church. Um, but sometimes, maybe a lot of times, the, when you're not, right, just sort of the rest of the journey is, is reasonably pleasant, right? But there are definitely times when it's distinctly not, and you feel very not at home. Um, and it's incredible comfort to know that even in the midst of that, that God is your strength. And as verse 7 says, that you're going to make it that you can still find happiness even in those moments. Maybe it's in a particular class. Maybe it's with a certain group of of friends where you feel very much not at home. Maybe it's when you find yourself with no friends. The times when you find yourself feeling very lonely um, and you feel very much not at home. Um, maybe Maybe it's when you find yourself facing that struggle that when you're... When you're, with, when you're at worship, you swear that you're never going to struggle with that again. But then it's Tuesday or Thursday or whatever. And you find yourself in that same struggle and you hate it. I hate being here. But maybe it's being with your family that's just always fighting. And you hate it. And you don't feel at home at home. And I want you to see that, that there's, there's good news. 
Because God is your strength and there can be happiness and there can be actual real blessing even in the midst of that. Because God is your strength. And he says, look at verse 7. Every, uh, gosh, where did I go? Each one appears before God in Zion. I'm going there. I'm not there. I want to be there. I don't like this place. But there can be blessing even there. Because, I mean, look what it says. God is your strength. There is blessing because it's his work that will get you there. And he will get you there. I hate this bathroom. But I am going to be at the beach. And it's beautiful because, like I just said, it's God's strength and not ours. And you can rest in that. And of course, there's an ultimate, right? We could make application sort of an ultimate sense of a heavenly Zion, right? Sort of a, a lifetime journey towards this uh, ultimate uh, destination, so to speak. And God is going to make sure that you appear. He's going to bring you home because of his strength. All right, thirdly and finally, I want you to see that uh, there is, uh, we can actually find happiness. Uh, We're going to see a little bit about being happy, trusting in God, verses 8 through 12. All right, so uh, this point, I think, is essentially to answer these questions. So maybe you're tracking with all this. Um, So who is this for? Right? Who can find their true sense of feeling at home with God and his people? That's one question. And the other question is, and what's so great about this, this home anyway? Right? Why does the psalmist long to be at home with God and his people? And those are two questions, I think, with the same answer. All right, so who's it for? Verse 12 says, blessed is the one who trusts in you. All right, so that sort of begs the question, so why would someone trust in God? Why would someone want to be with God like the psalmist does? Because it's clear we get more glimpses here in this last section. He really wants to be there, right? Uh, What does he say? Uh, Verse 10. Look how he describes it. One day with you is better than a thousand doing anything else. Um, He he says he would rather, uh, I think this is the sense of of that verse. He would rather live on the front steps of God's house than live inside the tents, live in comfort with the wicked. Okay, so why? Why is that? What's so great about it? And the answer, I think, that we see here is because of how God treats people. The psalmist uh, wants to be with God and worship him because of how he sees God deal with people. Verse 11, uh, look at verse 11. You see that God gives favor and honor to people. Favor is it's the same word as grace. God gives grace. So in other words, God treats people really well. He treats people better than they deserve. A lot better. Uh, verse 11, uh, continuing verse 11, says that God is a sun and a shield to his, to his people. What's the picture of the sun? Right? It's the idea that God is the one that provides warmth. He provides light. I mean, so essentially, he's the one that provides life, vitality to his people. What's the picture of the shield? Or what does a shield do? Well, it protects you, right? Um, 
Yeah, you get the picture that God is the one that provides protection and life. And then he welcomes you. He gives you grace and honor that we don't deserve. And those are great things. Of course you would want to be with somebody that treats you like that. Right? You could sum it up. And I think actually the psalm, and you're going to see this in a minute. I don't think it's plainly obvious right at first. I think you could sum it up saying that God treats people like kings. Right? We use that expression. Be treated like a king. And that's what God does. He treats people like kings. And so we're going to end by answering this question. How can you know that all that's real and that it's for you? How can you know that God wants to bless you? Um, that, that he wants to treat you like a king? All right, look at verse 9. This is where we see the, uh, the first time we see the shield metaphor. And it's actually a prayer uh, about a prayer for the king of Israel. Uh, the king was the representative of his people, right? Uh, as it goes for the king, right, as well or as poorly as things go for the king, right, it's the same for the people, right? Things go well or poorly for the people. Uh, and the prayer is for God to look on the king who is their shield. All right, so I want you to think again about what a shield does. We said, right, a shield protects you. But how does it do that? Right, a shield takes the hit for you, right? It takes the blow so that you don't. It gets hit and you don't. All right, now I want you to notice in verse 9, the shield is the, what does it say, the anointed one. The Hebrew word there for anointed one is the Hebrew word Messiah. Look, I think... The, the connections here are, are really amazing and really cool. Uh, the Greek word, if you're going to translate that into Greek, the Greek word is Christu, Christ. Right? So now let's jump back down to verse 11, where it says, where we looked at it, it says, God is their sun and shield. Listen to Revelation 21, 23. Revelation, so we're at the end of the Bible. And this is... Um, well, we're about, I'm going to read you one verse, and it's about the new, uh, new heavens, new earth, right? The new Jerusalem, the new Zion, okay? It says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamb. Right here it says, God, you are our sun. You give us light, warmth, Right? Revelation said, yes, God does that. God's glory is the light. And its lamp, right, it's the same thing, parallel, is the lamb. Now, what was the lamb, right? In Revelation, it's the lamb that was slain. Jesus. All of this is pointing to Jesus. The psalmist wants to be with God and with his people because God loves him and he treats him like a king. Even though he doesn't deserve it. Because the real king, Jesus, came and took our place. He came and was treated like we deserve. He came and was our shield, right? He took the hit of death and judgment that we're supposed to take. And so what that means is that you and I can actually pray alongside the psalmist. God, look, this is what they're praying. Look on our shield. Look on our anointed one. Right? Do you see what he's saying? 
In a sense, don't look at us. Look on Him. He's taking our place. And because the King takes our place, God gets to treat us like kings. He deals with us as if we're Him. Because He dealt with Him as if He's us. And being with the one, with God, that loves us like that, that's the... That's the only place that we can really truly find ourselves, find our true sense of home. And why wouldn't you want to find your sense of home there? For a God that loves us like that. That's the good news. And he offers himself to you even even tonight. And I pray you you take it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful picture that you have given us to sing and to read. To remind us that we find ourselves in you. In worship of you. And we can do that because you love us. And you treat us like we don't deserve. Father, would you take that truth and push it deep into our hearts. Maybe even for the first time. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.